Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. Well, good morning. We're in Proverbs chapter 26 today. And uh, I'm hoping again that you are always reading along with us and, and studying this. I don't know exactly how many times I've, I've read the book of Proverbs, um, but I, I really enjoy the way that it gives me a little bit of wisdom in one statement, in one, one line. And so that's really what we're, what we're doing here is going back through. So let's pray together and we'll get into this and, and, and get through a couple of chapters today. So, Father, we thank you today for the opportunity to study your word. Also, Father, to come in contact with your presence For you inhabit, Father God, your word. It is a living word, a word that gives its its work into us, Father, separating between the soul and the spirit, literally between the thoughts and intents of the heart. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Proverbs chapter 26. We're going to begin reading and and processing from the 16th verse. And uh, hopefully that will, will... not lead a lot, need a lot of lead in. Um, you, you may remember that last week we began talking about these proverbs that were likely held in either a written or an oral tradition for a couple of hundred years um, and then added to the book of, of Proverbs. So, so keep in mind that God seems to be so involved by his spirit in the bringing together of God's word that it's almost impossible for us to see that this would just happen because. We, we sometimes think of, of, of these things as being letters or, or, or being, being uh, specific things over a specific time. But, but boy, God worked through his spirit for hundreds and hundreds of years maintaining the anointing on these words to bring them together. In, in fact, it was almost 400 years after the, the death of, of Christ, after the resurrection of Christ, before we had a Bible uh, come together. And that, here's your, here's your theological word, canonization, where, where they brought it together under one cover. They used to be separate little things. And, and so if you are really into trivial information that is of no value whatsoever. You can go look and see. Um, there's actually a historical account of the books that were left out of, of the canonization of the Bible, and, and including the book of Enoch, which is always interesting. Enoch was one of those guys who uh, uh, basically didn't exist anymore as he was translated to heaven. And so anyway, there you go. Um, and here we are in verse number 16. It says, the lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. The idea behind this is that when we are wise in our own eyes, that we will neglect the counsel, the wisdom of the people that are around us. And so you you probably want to rethink that idea that says, hey, I got this figured out. If, if as you age, you recognize that you have very little figured out, you really are entering into the wisdom of God. Because God is, is, is just bigger and, and better and, and different. And, you know, the, the Bible tells us that, that if he who would not sacrifice or did sacrifice would not withhold the sacrifice of his own son, howbeit with him he will give us all things freely. So with Jesus Christ comes automatically all the free stuff. 
But we don't recognize the free stuff. At least not very readily, not very quickly. And so as we age sometimes, we recognize that one of the freedoms that God gives us, one of the free things that God gives us is the people that he puts around us. And, and if you'll think about how the world reacts right now, and, and maybe always has, but it seems to be so pointed right now, the argument is among flesh and blood. It's people against people. It's us against them. That was never God's plan. We are to utilize the wisdom that God puts around us, but not to attack other people, not to, to bring this, this separation that comes from, from, from dogma or doctrine or whatever. It, it, that was never God's design. I'm reading a book right now, and I was complaining to Tracy this morning because it's 400 pages long. Most books I read are like the books probably that you read, 150, 200 pages and and sorry I don't mean to, to to tell you this but you know this way but but generally I book buy books that I can read in a single sitting okay so I I would read a 200 page book you know in a single setting because for me the connectivity of a book is really important so I will sit and and read that so I've been reading on this book off and on for four days and I look today, and I'm on chapter 11. There are 13 chapters plus the appendixes and, and all the, oh, yeah, by the way, we forgot to tell you this in the 400 pages. And, and uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm on the 11th of 13. There's, there's two, more, two more chapters. It's been fascinating, but it's just long. And when I began to complain about that in, in my life, I realized that one of the things that God leaves us is the counsel of what other people have written. Now, let me tell you about this book. This book is all about people who led in different revivals that make up who we are today. So starts, you know, way back with, with the, the, uh, uh, the Methodist folks and the revival of the Wesley brothers and they're, they're striving to stay connected with the Holy Spirit. And it moves forward with some of these people that, whose names may not mean anything to you, but they mean something to me. I mean, I, I know historically they exist. And so I read this morning, I read about Catherine Kuhlman. So she died in about 1970, somewhere in there. But, but she was obviously a lady, and she was a lady evangelist in a time where ladies weren't really allowed to preach. And, and she, she, she didn't necessarily have, I don't know if you ever heard anything about her, but she was very dramatic. She wore long flowing clothes and she would stand behind, in, in the, behind the stage, behind the platform area until she sensed the Holy Spirit on her. And then she would come out flowing in these clothes and they hung really loose. And, you know, they, if there was any breeze, which she created when she walked, they kind of they floated along like, like this. You know, and I'm just going, okay, that level of, of dramatics, who needs that? Right? I mean, you're just looking at that. And, and so here's what happens. We miss the counsel of what she did. This is what God taught me this morning. We missed the counsel of what she did by judging how she did it. And so I went back and I looked and I said she and I read and, and uh, author after author said she would not come on the platform until she sensed the Holy Spirit being on her. In fact, she used a scripture where the Bible says about, about Gideon, and I'm not exactly sure where this is, um, 
But it says the Spirit of God came upon Gideon. Okay? Now, the language that's used there is literally when the Spirit of God wanted to do something through Gideon as a judge, when the Spirit of God wanted to do something, the Bible says that the Spirit of God put on Gideon. That the Spirit of God used Gideon as a clothing. And that was the revelation that Catherine Kuhlman had, that the Holy Spirit would put her on when the anointing fell and she would walk out as the representative of the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, we can get really goofy about this, right? I mean, who thinks that way? Well, okay, one person that I'm aware of right now um, that, that did that. But, but the idea here is that a man who was, who was wise in his own eyes neglects the counsel of seven men who can answer sensibly. We literally ignore the, 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 the wisdom that's available to us from what God put around us. Okay, So that, that begs this clarification or this idea. You want to be careful the counsel that you take in. So much of many of us, because of the ease of information, take counsel from people who don't love God. We take counsel from people who don't love God. We take counsel from people who have a horse in the race. You say, how do we take counsel from people who don't love God? Well, I'll just tell you that barring a few news services and not the ones that you're thinking of, okay, um, but barring the, the places like the Jerusalem Post and potentially the Christian Broadcasting Network and some of those things, most of the rest of the people who are putting out news today don't love God. Sorry. Okay, in, in, including the, 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 the beloved conservative network that many of us are captivated by, Fox News. It's not putting forth information based on the love of God. Sorry, you say, well, but I like what they say. That becomes the problem, doesn't it? Because now we're captivated by what somebody who doesn't love God says. Amen. He who passes by, verse 17, and meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a dog by the ears. Can, can, I, can, I, can I help you with this one? If the fight's not yours, walk on by. Remember, when you walk into a quarrel, the quarrel involves, generally speaking, one crazy person or two crazy people. And they're arguing with each other. They're actually, they've actually made the issue flesh and blood. Come on. I get real nervous in the city anymore because evidently, as I age, I depend on my insurance more than I should. Okay? And, and so here's what I mean by that. I occasionally don't realize that I'm driving bad because I'm pretty sure I got good insurance. Hey, you, you, just, you just put your fingers in your ear and go, nah, 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 nah. Because 
in the next couple of months, I need you to bid my car and house insurance. You know, so, sorry. But here, here's the thing. Here's what happens. See, what, what, what we do is we enter into a quarrel of flesh and blood. The only way for you to help in that is to take sides. I don't care what the argument is. The only way to help, I mean, as a counselor, and I'm not really good at this because my first response is to slap the people who are involved. Okay? I mean, act. Listen, I can save all you thousands of dollars. Okay, are you ready? Get ready. You won't even have to write this down. Three words. Act like Jesus. You're welcome. Okay? Sorry. If you walk by a quarrel between two people, between two entities, to enter that. Now, I don't know if you've ever grabbed. When I read this, I grabbed my son's dog. He's got a big old laboratory dog that's got some Great Dane in it or something. He's a huge dog. Like, weighs like 150 pounds. Big old white slobbering thing. You know, and I don't really like it. But I thought, okay, here's, here's this dog. And so I'm sitting there in, in, the, in the Easy Boy in their house. And his name is Dash. And I called Dash over. And I said, oh, Dash, you're a good boy. And he's going off like this. And I grabbed him by the ears like this. His countenance changed. It's, it's not very good to grab a dog by the ears. Okay? They, they don't have the ability to communicate like you do. So when evidently when they, they lose the ability to speak, and they've never had the ability to speak, okay, even if you think your dog is talking to you, one of the people in that conversation is crazy, okay? <laughs> I used to do a radio program with area pastors, and I always had this one pastor, not here anymore, all that. They always wanted to talk about their bless the pet day. People would bring their pets to church to be blessed. The reason they had to stop it is somebody bought their chicken. Now, I want to tell you something. Chickens don't like to be handled because regardless of how you believe in evolution and all that kind of stuff, but they've been trained to run from you. And if you get your hands on the chicken, they're trying to get away from you. And they're using their feet and their beaks and whatever else. Not a good thing. Because probably throughout all of the generations, some mother chicken told them, if a, if a human grabs you, you're going to die. <laughs> the point I'm trying to get, you across, get across to you is there's just some simple things here that the Proverbs give us that we just miss. You know, and we enter into quarrels that are not ours. And that are involved with people that the Bible tells us that our enemies are not flesh and blood. And the only way to mediate in an argument is to pick sides. Amen. Notice the 18th verse. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor saying, I was only joking. Ouch. See, you're you're living in a level of deception when you have to explain your behavior as a joke. Listen, let's just get real personal right here. When you talk with your spouse or your significant other and you throw a dart at them, there's always an ounce of truth in it. Okay, you may say, oh boy. Really? Yeah. See, we'll we'll couch it in, in, in laughing terms, you know. 
But what, in reality, what we're doing there is we're actually pitching. A lot of people looking at each other right now. I must have hit a nerve. <laughs> well, what you're, what you're doing is, is you're, you're just joking your way to painful truth. The New Testament calls that coarse jesting. It's not healthy. It's not healthy. Amen. Notice it says in the 20th verse, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. You know the Bible doesn't need to tell us that. But look what it compares it to. And when there is no tail bearer, strife ceases. Did you hear the latest? That's a tail bearer. You know, give them the sign of the cross and run. You don't need that information. I remember in a, in a meeting I was sitting and, and Marilyn Hickey was, was leading that. And I don't know how she got. Well, I do now. I do, I do remember when I said that, that, that how, she, how, I, how she got off on all of this. But she basically said to this person who greeted her at the door after she preached and, and said, my ears are not garbage buckets. See, everybody wants to tell you, hey, did you hear? And, and they almost always couch it in, in terms of a prayer request. But there's no prayer. Well, amen anyway. <laughs> Listen, if God inhabits the praises of Israel, if God inhabits praises, who inhabits gossip? Who inhabits the tail bearing? See, it doesn't make any difference if what you're saying ends up being true. Right? It doesn't make any difference. God doesn't inhabit the tail bearer's tail. Okay. Verse number 22. Well, let's read. It's, it's all in context here. Let's read 21. As charcoal is to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. These are all issues of character, people of God. Let me see if I can explain something to you. When the Bible talks about breaking strongholds, right? Take every thought captive. I'm going to actually preach part of this in the main service. But when the Bible talks about tearing down strongholds, what it's really referring to is the castle of verbal strength that's built in your insights. Okay? Now, if you have a castle of verbal strength, it's called a strong opinion. Are, are you all with me? Don't raise your hands. But how many of you know somebody who has strong opinions? How many of you are sitting by that person who has strong opinions? How many of you would like to take those strong opinions occasionally and shove them right back where they came from? Okay? Here's my point. Character requires for you to petition God to break down the verbal stronghold or the opinions that do not fully align with God. He says, take them to the cross or to the place of obedience of Jesus. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And the Bible says he was obedient even to death on a cross. All right, so here's the thing. God expects for us in this process not to kindle strife by our contentious opinions. Be cautious about that. 
And, and let, me, let me point out right now, in the, in the world we live in with the, with, the, with the disbursement of information, occasionally some of those contentious thoughts come under the guise of the name of God. I've been in ministry a long time. And I will tell you, I've heard pastors say the Catholics are going to hell. Oh dear. You do not go to hell by the church you go to. Right? You go to hell by not receiving the free gift of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. It's a narrow way to truth. It's a wide way. You say, well, they don't believe right. Listen, when you give up your contentious opinions, you'll stop stirring up strife. So you don't say, oh yeah, I know somebody like that. And everywhere they go, there's strife. Stirring up strife, stirring up strife, stirring up strife. This is to you. This is that contention to you. Verse number 22. The words of a tail bearer are like tasty trifles. They go down into the inmost body. This is the this is the lie that tastes good. This is the tale that makes you feel better about yourself. I'll just, so that I don't hit any of you, or try not to, I'll tell you about pastors. One of the greatest character struggles of every pastor is to celebrate the success of another church. To celebrate the success, right? And so what happens is, when we hear something about a successful church, it kind of tastes good. It, you go, oh yeah, I, I knew that. There's no way they could get that big or they could, no way they could do this or no way they could minister these people because I knew there was a character problem there. When in reality, my conversation is revealing my own character problem. The innermost part of my, of my being wants to be pridefully noticed and at the top of the heap. Now, I know none of you have that. Just pray for me, okay? But we, we probably all do have some of that. See, if you go back to the one where it says that he, he uh, uh, tailbearer, uh, if, if he's not there, ceases uh, the, the strife, keep in mind that if you're the tailbearer, you'll stop, but you won't necessarily have the other people stop, and so they'll bring you. I've actually had people come to me with tales about other churches. And I just stop them and I say, so even if you're right, what would you like me to do about it? I mean, yeah, let's call their elders up and get an appointment and go in there and say this. I heard from, and by the way, if you're not willing to say the name you heard it from, then you become the primary tail, tail bearer. But if you have an issue with somebody, you need to go to them. So maybe you get in there, but you take that tale that is a rumor. One of the first issues of pastoral character that God encouraged me to live by is I will not respond to a rumor. When somebody comes to me and says, well, so so and so told me this is happening at your church. I said, you ought to come and find out what's happening at our church. You know, I mean, Aren't you glad when you first came to this charismatic Pentecostal church that we kept the snakes hidden under the stage? I mean, I'm so glad that, that you didn't get the snakes out. What snakes? I don't like snakes. 
I don't care how godly I might get by handling them. I ain't doing it. In fact, they're dead if I find them. I will run over them with my car 72 times trying to slide my tires and spin my tires, tearing them up. You say, oh, you're so mean to, 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 I have dominion over God's creation. Yeah, I, I don't like rabbits either, just in case you want to know. I don't like rabbits, I don't like mice. I don't like flies. And I will do everything in my power to kill them little dudes. Just so you know. Absolutely rabbits. I should have taken a picture of this right out by our back door. I came in one morning right out by our back door where, the, where, the, where some of you park. Miss um, Barb oftentimes parks back there. Uh, Larry and Cindy park right back here by that, by that uh, drain. A coyote had chased a rabbit up in the, the drain pipe of, of off our roof. You know, the, the gutters had drained. dug about a two and a half foot hole, two and a half feet wide trying to get their teeth marks on the outside of the PVC pipe that drains our water away from the building. If I kill the rabbit, the coyotes go someplace else. <laughs> Bug Bunny is dead. We used to... We, <laughs> back when I was telling stories about my, my supreme ability to hunt... Larry and Joseph would actually kill the rabbits in the afternoon and the evening when I wasn't here. And so I shot about a thousand rounds and I didn't kill any rabbits. And they shot 37 bullets and killed 37 of them. And they're all dead. <laughs> now see how you got me off. <laughs> okay. That was not a tale. That was, that was absolutely the truth. I couldn't kill a rabbit if my life depended on it. <laughs> Skip down to chapter, chapter 27, verse number one. It says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. People of God, today is yesterday's future. Today was manufactured by what seeds you put in the ground yesterday. If you want to plan your future, you need to do it yesterday by paying attention to what you did yesterday. When you put seed in the ground yesterday, you can expect a harvest today or the next day or whatever. So see, pay attention. What he's trying to get you to see here is not that we shouldn't think about the future, that we should think about what we're doing today to get those things done. Let another man praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. It's talking about, listen, if your story includes what you did 10 years ago or five years ago, you're living on old manna. Stop telling that story. I knew that would go over big. What we need to live on is the audience of one God himself and if God smiles and by the way I personally believe he's smiling all the time you want to know why I think that because Isaiah during the, the sacrifice of Jesus the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53 verse number 10 it pleased the Lord 
to bruise his son. If God can smile about that, whatever problems that you have are insignificant. He is smiling every day. Every day. See, you got to get you got to get hooked on the goodness of God. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that brings people to repentance. Not your knowledge of sin and beating them up with it. God is a good God. I personally believe that he's smiling every day. Every day. God is happy. If God lived on the earth, we'd think he was crazy. Because he's happy about everything. And he's always doing something good. In the midst of difficult times, God is doing something good. When the disciples were in the storm, Jesus walked to them in the storm. He's in the storm. He's not affected. He's a good God. He'll walk with you in your storm. You understand? You won't have power over the storms you don't have peace in. You getting what I'm saying? If you look at the, the, the times when, when the disciples were freaking out, it was almost always over a storm or something that they couldn't control. Can I point out to you that everything that makes a difference in your life, an ultimate difference in your life, is controllable by you. You can't control the weather. I mean, you might occasionally move some clouds, but the point is you can't control the weather. But you can control how you respond to it. Everything that makes a difference in your life is controllable ultimately by you. Because here's what happens. Many of us become attitude mongers. We move from one attitude to the next. We're either hacked off or we're happy. We either, in Christianity, we're, we're rarely angry. We're almost always just frustrated. Yeah, no anger. What do we frustrate? We're frustrated largely because things, come on, are you ready? Things don't go the way we want them to. So our response is controllable. Almost everything that will affect your life is under your control. Isn't that hard? I mean, you understand that you can, you can get all wound up about the devil uh, uh, messing with your life, right? Well, the devil. Okay, time out. Jesus said you shall have authority over all the power of the enemy. Whose control is that? Your authority Christ's authority through you. Christ puts you on his clothing. You ever wonder why the devil would ever move if you told him to? It's kind of like, I remember when I was in, in third grade. My brother was in fourth grade. I wasn't a fighter. I was a crier. Full disclosure. My brother thought that was the most terrible thing. And my brother would threaten me. I came home one day and my, my buttons were off. And my mother looked at me and she said, who have you been fighting with? No one. Why are your buttons torn? I said, Rich did it. 
And he did on the way home because I wouldn't stand up for myself. He's dragging me by. I never will forget this. Dragging me by my shirt saying, I'm going to beat you up if you don't stand. He's, I had a, I don't know why bullies pick on people who are emotionally secure. <laughs> I was embracing my inner sissyhood. Okay. Just crying. I was okay with that. But people would pick on me. And, 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 you know, this one boy named John, that really, that's his real name, okay, is John. And John would always wait for me. And he, he, you know, he's in third grade and he's flunked 72 times. He's got a beard. And, <laughs> and he's, he's always picking on me. And my brother, <clears throat> up through third grade, we were on the same side of the playground, but when he graduated to fourth grade, he moved across and thou shalt never cross the fence from the third grade and underside to the fourth grade and overside. And so my brother's watching me. He said, that kid's going to beat the thunder out of you next year because I'm not going to be here to beat him up. And so he drugged me home, beat me up. <laughs> never could figure out why I did that. He, he threatened to beat me up because how I played baseball. I was always more interested in the dandelions. <laughs> Verse number four. I told you all those stories to get you here. Wrath is cruel and anger a torrent. But who is able to stand before jealousy? He gives us three Emotional character issues, wrath, anger. So wrath, generally speaking, is anger that leads to action. Okay, you can be angry and not do anything, right? The Bible says, be angry yet sin not. Okay, so somehow that's possible. Wrath, on the other hand, is action. Jealousy is a whole nother deal. And he puts them in order. These are three character issues that every one of you will have to learn how to break. And why? Because they come from our own pre-planned agendas. Many of you know I have a degree in psychology. I would use that occasionally in very unfavorable ways with my wife. She'd get wound up when we were first married. And she would say this to me, you make me so mad. Ta-da! I'm in control. Because no one can make you anything. You choose. Now, how many of you know that when you tell that to your newly married wife, all the brilliance that you thought you had based on the plaque you can put on the wall, it doesn't, it doesn't move her at all. Okay? Every one of us have to deal with these three issues. Wrath. Right? Come on. Why do you think the Bible says that, that don't provoke your children to anger? Why, why do you think it says that? Because the step from anger to wrath is really, really short. Now, I, Tracy and I raised four boys. And so we would rarely step in until there was blood. Because normally at that point, we knew who won and it's settled. You know, I mean, sometimes they were screaming and yelling, but, you know, that was, that was the way it worked. So, so wrath is cruel. Anger, a torrent. You see that torrent? That, 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 that flooding water. 
but who can stand against or before jealousy? Skip down to verse number nine. Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. Now notice that he says to us that there is a delightful experience that happens in our heart based on the smoothness of the lotion and the smell of the lotion. Any of you in here massage people? You know, you go to the person who, you know, pours oil on you and and rubs. Yeah, okay. Does it fix your heart occasionally? Do you like that? You get that and it releases all the toxins in you and, and all that kind of stuff. You go, oh yeah, I feel so much better. See, he gives us a, a physical understanding that we can have to relate to us a supernatural principle. And the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. He, he, he wants us to understand that the counsel that we get should end up doing the same thing in our heart as a good massage does. Hey, that's new. Y'all look at my monitor back there. You see that over on, on what would be the right side above the five minutes. It says, it says 10 minutes right there. That's my sound crew saying to me, get ready to shut up. You don't get to see all that. Sometimes they, they put things back there just to mess with me. Notice if you would, verse number 12, a prudent man. Verse number 12, a prudent man foresees evil. Now listen, a prudent man will recognize that when seeds are put in the ground, you will, you will begin to process what kind of a harvest that is. You don't want to hang around with people who are consistently planting the wrong seeds. A prudent man will look at that and go, you know what? The harvest is not going to be good from that. Many of you, when you were teenagers, had this opportunity where whatever you did seemed like at the time a good idea. Right? You don't want to hang around under those... A prudent man foresees evil. This is not going to end well. Hides himself. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, this doesn't necessarily imply go find a cave to be in. But rather, it uses the same terminology that Psalm 91 uses. Hidden under the wings of the Almighty. It gives us a place to go. The simple, the person devoid of wisdom, passes on and are punished. Meaning that you share in the evil, in in the, the harvest that a prudent man saw and went the other direction. Notice in verse number 17, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Now, no one likes this verse, really, unless we can say it about someone else. You understand that iron sharpening iron, the, the, the way that, that, that iron or, or steel is tempered is get real hot. You bang it a couple of times with a sledgehammer so you can mold it. Then you stick it in cold water, which changes the molecular structure of carbon and makes the steel stronger. If you ever had a really good knife... That knife took hours and hours to make because they tempered it correctly. 
They literally sharpened it by iron. They beat it, they ground it, they heat it, they cooled it quickly, and over it went over and over again. You see what I'm saying? Iron sharpens iron. So as the man sharpens the countenance, what's the countenance? That's his body language and his expressions. Come on, how many of you have heard someone say something and it riled you up? How many of you ever had the opposite? You heard somebody and the words were such sweet counsel that it calmed you down. My wife did that to me this week. I'm not terribly mechanical. Okay? The best mechanic ability that I have is to write the check. Okay? Get somebody else to do it. That's my mechanical ability. And God's put all kinds of people around me to, to do that. And, and while they'll help me, they laugh at me. But remember, I'm the emotionally secure one. So, yeah, it's okay. I don't cry anymore about that. I'm thrilled that I am so stable that none of this bothers me. Yay me. Remember, don't praise yourself. Okay. I'm just trying to tie it all together for you. So, so, so it, anyway, we're, we're, we're remodeling and we want to replace our heater and air conditioner because we have a commercial unit that sits outside our house. It's ugly, makes a lot of noise, okay? So we thought, well, we'll put a new heater in. So we order the new heater, which by the way, they're dang expensive. So I'm already in a bad mood. And then I, I, I cut through the side of the existing house because our ductwork's underneath our house in a crawl space. So I cut through that, cut through, and guess what's right there? One of the biggest puddles of water you've ever seen in your life. We sucked over 200 gallons of water, over 300 gallons, my wife just corrected me, 300 gallons of water out from underneath our dry, our crawl space is supposed to be dry. There's so much water down there, the people putting our heater in refuse to work until we get it dried out. Okay, it's serious, okay? Well, so here's what I did. I said, let's sell the house. I needed some iron sharpening iron. And my wife says to me, I don't understand why you're so worked up over this. Now I can tell you why I was, why I was under, I want to be my wife's knight in shining armor. But in this case, I was my wife's knight in muddy clothes. Well, you know, and I'm thinking, I can't do this. I don't, I don't have the same joints as I had when I was young. I can't bend that way. I can't get down there. And it's literally a crawl space. Okay? And what I, I don't mean crawling like a baby. I mean crawling like an army guy. This way. You know, through the mud. To get over there only to find out you need dry hands. Well, that was good. They just put me up a sign that said one minute and it flashed. <laughs> they're, they're really... <laughs> They're really, really getting me. I needed, I needed iron sharpening iron to change my countenance. I was discouraged. I was depressed. I didn't think we were ever going to get over this. My solution was not to look up into heaven like I've been trying to teach you people, but to look at the natural things going, this is never going to work. Let's sell this house and retire. We're out. We're gone. You know. She says, what? It's just the process. 
She said, it's just the process. My wife sharpened me with her iron. Don't miss this, people of God. Don't miss this. The people that are around you are designed by God to change how your countenance and body language functions. Amen? So you don't have an excuse to be a jerk. Act that way. Be that way to your husband or your wife. You do not have a reason, right? When, when, see now they're telling me to stop. When David came to fight Goliath, his brother said, you're just a crazy youngest brother. And he looked at them and he says, is there not a cause? Isn't, isn't there a reason for us to go kill this dude? And they see, what was, what was David basing it on? What God had called the nation of Israel. He said, how dare you come against the nation of Israel? My God is going to feed you to the birds. And when David killed Goliath, he took his weapons. He took the enemy's weapons, great type and shadow of Jesus, took the enemy's weapons and took the seat of authority, his head, and he carried that thing like a five-gallon bucket back to Jerusalem. He said, I have the seat of authority of the enemy right here. We'll never have to deal with them again. See, that's the thing. That, that, he changed the countenance of a nation. A teenage boy. Amen? See, as iron sharpens iron, that's how that happens. So shall a good counselor, a good friend, sharpen the countenance of you. Amen? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord God, for how you deal with this, what you show us in your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch sermon slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.